For a long time, it was just the like most side project D it could possibly be. My goal month to month was let me just do one thing to make this group a little bit better. And it was pretty much that for a year. So over a year, we added a Facebook group. Then we added a Slack because not everybody liked Facebook. Little changes like that. We made a landing page, a website so that people could like find us. About a year in, I think there was a moment where we dropped to like zero engagement for a bit. About eight months ago, we had already hit around maybe like 500 people in the Slack about eight months ago. So now we're 3,000. My name is Anthony Castrio, and I'm the founder and host of Indie Worldwide. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Anthony Castrio created an online community for indie builders to stay connected. All this and more on Code Story. Anthony Castrio has been a freelance engineer and digital nomad for three and a half years. He's currently living in Mexico City, but is originally from upstate New York, up around the Adirondack Mountains area. He describes where he grew up to be very similar to the Shire from The Lord of the Rings. His hobbies include reading, tennis, and languages. He's currently learning Spanish, given his location, but also has dabbled in Japanese and French. As a freelance dev, he mostly is a full-stack web developer. He's been aggressively part-time, or quarter-time as he puts it, as a freelancer. He considers it the bootstrapper seed round. It is how he keeps his runway infinite to work on his personal projects. Before he built his current project, every time he would move to a new city, he would try to start a local indie hackers meetup. He started one in Boston and DC and a few other places, but every time he moved, he lost his friend group. In order to stay connected with his friends, he decided to take his groups virtual. It was then that it started to grow. This is the creation story of Indie Worldwide. Indie Worldwide is primarily a community, um, mostly on Slack but not only on Slack. And we're four indie, um, indie founders, so people trying to bootstrap their startups, um, go in a non-traditional, like, they're not raising money, they're often solo founders, they're often technical, but they're not always all of those things. So we are about 3,000 total now, and about 400 of those are active every week on the Slack. Um, we do a podcast, we do um, like videos on YouTube, but our main, thing we do is uh, twice a month live events. So we do one general meetup. It doesn't usually have an agenda. It's just supposed to be fun, get to know other people in the space. And then the other event we do is uh, some kind of webinar. So something educational, usually interviewing somebody, doing something interesting, usually sometimes a couple people at a a time. Uh, Those are a lot of fun. So we just dropped the recordings from the last one, which was hashtag build in public. And we interviewed a Twitch streamer building his startup on Twitch and also Noah Bragg, who's building Potion.so on, on Twitter. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, the newest thing we started to do is challenges. So uh, this week we're going to do a wrap-up event for 100 and 100, which was a challenge to get 100 new paying users in 100 days, which grew the community a lot. People were excited about that. So we're definitely going to do a round two, um, probably a new theme and new brand, and launch that in the next couple weeks. 
for Indie Worldwide, I'd already been freelancing and um, nomading for about a year, maybe a year and a half. Every time I'd get to a new city, I'd try to start up a new Indie Hackers meetup in person. Um, so I started one in Medellin, I helped out in uh, Boston and DC, and also here in Mexico City. Um, but every time I moved, I'd lose my friend group that I'd made over the last few months. So I got kind of um, tired of being lonely in that way, so decided to take it virtual. Um, and we started with just like a, a monthly Zoom call, whoever was interested from seeing the link on um, IndieHackers.com, and then we grew from there. Tell me about the MVP, so that first product you built. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? The most time was spent on like designing graphics and stuff. So we didn't have any kind of platform, no website. Um, all we were was a, I think we were a Mixly.com RSVP page and a, and a Zoom link. And that was, our, that was the MVP. So maybe half an hour <laughs> and then another half an hour to build the, the graphic. And the only place I posted it probably was Indie Hackers and their like meetup section, maybe some Facebook groups. It started very small and very niche and sort of just to solve the purpose of you having a meetup group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just wanted a, a portable um, group of friends. So a virtual meetup. Dig in a little bit to the decisions and trade-offs you made in that early, early prototype, early MVP, right? Because you used, you know, you just kind of put together what you needed essentially to make the group happen. How did you go through those decisions and what sort of trade-offs did you make even in those early days? The main trade-off was something um, lean that I could launch right away. Uh, I wasn't really thinking about this as a startup. I was just thinking of it as a, as a meetup group. So it was how do I make this event fun? Um, well, at a small scale, we're just going to get people in a room together and I'll try to be charming on the call and kind of herd people into conversations. Um, Zoom was nice. I chose that because they have like a breakout room feature. And one of the problems with events in general, but especially online events, is participation as the group grows. So if you get more than eight people in a room together, um, a couple of those people aren't going to get a chance to talk at all. There's going to be a few voices dominating. Um, and the more you get to talk on an event, I found usually the, the better you feel about it afterwards. So my goal often with Indie Worldwide is how do I shrink the group size as much as possible, even down to one-on-ones, so that everybody gets a chance to participate. Um, and the Zoom breakout rooms at the time was good enough to make that work. That's interesting. That's actually very cool. Did, what sort of feedback did you get uh, after you were breaking the groups up into small chunks like that? Did people, did people respond well? Yeah, yeah. So that hypothesis was definitely correct. People came out of it with positive attitude. So month to month, we kind of fluctuated. Sometimes we were as many as like 30. Sometimes we'd be down to just like a group of eight. And so how many rooms depends on, on how many people were there. So how did you progress the product from that early MVP, right? You, you, you taped a few things together and made it work, right? How did you progress the product from there and figure out, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or add to Indie Worldwide? For a long time, it was just the like most side project D it could possibly be. Uh, my goal, <laughs> <laughs> my goal month to month was let me just do one thing to make this group a little bit better, um, and it was pretty much that for a year. So over a year, we added a Facebook group, 
Um, then we added a Slack because not everybody liked Facebook. Um, we started doing some recorded interviews and putting them on the YouTube channel so that people could find them later. Uh, eventually, we, we switched to Hopin um, as our platform. So little changes like that. We made a landing page, a website, so that people could like find us. Uh, about a year in, I think there was a moment where we dropped to like zero engagement for a bit. It was like maybe I even took like a few months off of it. Um, and then when I came back, I started taking it more seriously and trying to like grow it and, and do bigger things. And we've really grown the most in the last like eight months of it's like two and a half year life. So in about eight months ago, we started, um, uh, we had already hit around maybe like 500 people in the Slack about eight months ago. So now we're 3000. So eight months ago, we were at 800. I was thinking, um, along the veins of the group size problem, like how do I get people talking to each other? It's like the difference people bring up often between what is a community, what is an audience. The community is people talking to each other, the audience is you talking to everybody. Um, so I wanted some way to, I was thinking, how do I get people to talk to each other? The most straightforward way I could do that would just be to introduce them one on one. So we started um, what's now called Founders Club, where people could sign up. And then once a week, I'd pick somebody else from the club um, to send them a match to. So it started as a free service. Um, and then a lot of people, like I think three or four different people told me, um, hey, I, I pay for this. You could charge for this. And so that suddenly I was like, really? <laughs> I could charge for that? Well, okay. Yeah, let's try that. Uh, maybe this can be a, a, a nice um, source of income for this. At this point, I'd probably, put, I don't know, put like 5,000 hours into the club and not really planning to make money from it. Um, it's not super sustainable because eventually I have to do have to make money to eat and stuff like that. Yeah, so we started charging for it, launched on Product Hunt, a um, bunch of people signed up, maybe like got like 20 or 30 paid users off the Product Hunt launch. Um, now I think we're like 70 or 80 paid users and I've raised, raised the prices a couple times since then. Um, so that's one of the main ways Founders Club or Indie Worldwide makes money now is through Founders Club. Um, and then the other big thing we did about four months ago that I mentioned earlier is the um, first challenge, so the 100 and 100 challenge. That one, so between the Founders Club launch and the, and the challenge launch, we pretty much like 4X'd in size or 5X'd in size over not that long. 100 and 100 brought a bunch of sponsors in for the club and also for the challenge. And so that also became a nice revenue stream. So for the last couple months, it's actually like been ramen profitable paying my my um fairly low bills here in mexico uh, i haven't quit freelancing yet but um that's definitely a nice milestone so as you gain more and more success with indie worldwide you're going to need to build a team right but most likely you're going to be at least a few people so what are you going to look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you in growing indie worldwide Medium term, I don't see myself hiring full time. It'll be more like outsourcing the most time consuming parts of it in order to um, leverage my own time better, right? So right now the most time consuming things are keeping people engaged, um, like starting conversations and uh, like media editing. So pod the podcasts and setting up events and things like that. Um, so I've experimented a little bit with outsourcing the video editing stuff. The only problem is the math doesn't quite work out because it's usually like a few hundred bucks to get it edited well. Um, I would spend maybe like an hour to two hours doing it. So my like opportunity costs 
are about the same as what I would spend on it. Um, so it's it's getting to where it makes sense, but it's still a little bit. Um, if I started paying to get all my videos edited, I would no longer be ramen profitable. So we're probably still a few more months out from where I can really outsource that time-consuming bit. Um, so as far as like how do I figure out who to hire, I don't have like a good process, but what I have found in general works when trying to outsource like micro tasks or like specific jobs is often to like hire a couple people at the same time at the same time. Um, see who works out and then just go with the best. Like don't try to guess who's going to work out. Just hire like two or three at the same time. Give them like a trial period, pay them all for their time and then and keep the one that that worked out. Um, I've done that for a couple different projects and it's it's been a pretty good system. So let's flip to scalability then. So is Indie Worldwide ready to scale right now or are you going to fight this as you grow? We haven't hit a ton of scaling problems yet. Moderation in the Slack is maybe one of the like potential points of scaling. Issues that is mostly handled by just um, banning people if they suck, which I haven't had to do too much. Let's see, the events themselves are kind of naturally scalable because we lean on the platforms to like handle things like, so during the, the meetups we do one-on-ones, um, but the platform handles that, right? We just go over to the one-on-one section and people get matched up. Um, Founders Club, I've already written a bunch of like software to kind of, um, it's not fully automated because I still review all the matches, but I have software now that like suggests me who I should introduce. And that's cut down the time from like two hours to maybe like half an hour to get it done. Um, so we could feasibly double, I think around like 10x everything right now. I'd probably start to hit challenges, but um, yeah, we could grow a lot without, without sweating it. The problem, one of the problems is our scale doesn't, like our revenue doesn't necessarily scale with the scale of the community. Like Founders Club, yes, uh, but the like community as a whole, like it's mostly a free community. 90% of what we do is free. So I might, if we grew that much, I might eventually have to um, like shut it down a bit, turn it into application only, or take like a, like a, a small membership fee just so that we can, we can scale with, with our size. It hasn't been an issue so far though. And I like having it, having a large amount of it be free. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm the most proud when two people make friends within my group. When somebody tells me like, hey, I met John or I met Noah and um, we really, we hit it off. We're talking every month or we started a podcast together. We, we're, we're gonna start this project together. That's when I feel the most proud. Um, Cause that's, that's the point of it. Now let's flip the script a little bit then. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you responded to it. One of the mistakes I might've made is, is um, kind of trying to do too much at this at once, not picking a pace that was scalable. Um, because a lot of what makes a community is people sticking around and staying engaged and um, just the community itself still being active over like three years later adds a lot of legitimacy. And there's definitely a point in the middle where I was kind of burned out on it and ended up like, there was like a few months of period of downtime to where I kind of had to relaunch the community almost when I came back. So that was, that was a, a mistake. The solution was just pick a, a pace that I can sustain and, 
and increase that slowly over time. Don't try to like do a whole bunch more at once, which is like advice I don't always take, but for the most part, try to hold to <laughs> just whatever I'm doing, take a, a pace that works. So like a recent example is 100-100 kind of ended our, like a few weeks ago. I should have already done the finale event. I should have already launched the next version, um, but I got sick. So I was like sick for a week and a half. I was like, if I try to do this at the same time as like being sick and my other stuff, it's going to be shitty. So um, I'm going to push it off a few weeks until I can make it what it's supposed to be um, versus trying to burn myself out on it because it's a, th this isn't a unicorn startup play. This is a, like a long-term community. Um, so it's just not worth burning the candle at both ends because I need to be able to stick around. What does the future look like for the community and for the product and for your team? Well, I definitely would like to get to that like 10x size number if we can keep it with the same um, like vibe and, and friendliness that it has now. Um, we're leaning harder into challenges. I would like to do like a um, like a big conference, either virtual or in person eventually. Um, those are some of the things down the line. If, as far as like, how does it um, dovetail with like my personal goals? It's, um, I, I don't total, I don't, I would be surprised if it ever like totally takes over my time and um, income sources. So I see it more as a platform to launch everything else I'm working on. So. Um, any any other like startup or product idea that I, I come up with now has like a built-in community around it, a built-in launch platform. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I think about it long term. Um, and other people are are having good luck uh, boosting their launches as well by posting them on on Indie Worldwide and making friends there. Let's switch to you, Anthony. Who influences the way that you work? You know, a CTO, an indie hacker, developer, really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why. So I'd say, say the two or three are uh, within the indie hacker space would be like Peter Levels, Nomadlist, um, uh, Matt Colbruge of like Betalist, and another list-based startup, um, Hacker One on Twitter, Visalist. So I feel like those guys uh, have been really smart with how they've built their companies and especially like their distribution. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to learn from them. Well, if you could go back to the very beginning when you started this community, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I probably would have started it as a paid community from the get go and um, would jump straight into like the challenges and stuff since that turned out to be our our biggest um, like marketing win by far, uh, but hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. I, I, if I had started out with the same goals I have now, I maybe would have thought to do those things, but at the time, those weren't even on the radar. Um, so I don't think there's like an alternate history where we're already ten x bigger. I think this is the way it was meant to meant to grow. Well, last question, Anthony. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur, builder, or hacker who's built the next big thing, right? They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I mean, the one thing I often tell people is to like pick a single core metric, pick the one thing you need to get done next and just laser focus on that, right? Like a one month long goal that you can knock out of the park, ignore everything else that you can. Um, because once you get a little bit of traction in one area, it really helps everything else you want to do too.
Well, Anthony, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Indie Worldwide. Thanks for having me, Noah. It was fun. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.